0: Welcome to the fifth episode of Talking Time Podcast.
1: Are you meaning to say we've done five of these? (laughs) It feels like only yesterday we were doing the first one.
0: I know. It's been going very well
1: Yeah well I'm doing great I am recording from my new funky studio Which no one's going to be able to see Because it's an audio podcast But anybody that has followed me on my other channel Which is Scottish Watches You'll have seen hopefully the podcast Not just in audible format But in the visual realms as well So that's where I'm recording from If the audio is slightly different Than you may be used to before That is the reason But fingers crossed There will be no audio or visual gremlins Everything will go tickety-boo But before we introduce our special guest for this episode I believe you come bearing news
0: I am bearing We've got something very exciting coming up Uh, And actually our guest is taking part as well We've um, just announced our first live event Which is going to be big in London uh, In Westminster It's an event just for British brands Our trade members we've got 81 now uh, so lots of brands to see it's uh, happening on the on Saturday 9th of March 2024 and it's called British Watchmakers Day we've got 30 um, exhibitors confirmed already uh, a lot more to come, they'll all be announced in due course, uh, we've got Roger W. Smith exhibiting for the first time ever but what's the most exciting thing about it is brands mm-hmm. will be creating limited edition watches just for the day and uh, to to start that trend, uh, Roger W. Smith is creating a series one watch, um, great news. (laughs) I'm really excited about that. And we've got about 18 brands have already confirmed that they will be doing limited editions. So you actually have to come to our event uh, to be able to buy a watch on a first-come, first-served basis. I've seen um, a few watches. Um, It's really exciting. Can't reveal anything, but um, we'll, we'll talk about it on our Instagram or website.
1: So I know the number you gave us there was 30 out of the 81, but I know that you've only managed to speak to about 30 so far because everybody's so keen to speak to you. It's taking hours than hours for each of these brands and you're just there yourself doing this so I expect more I expect probably about 80 of the 81 brands to be there
0: Well it's, it's been summer I think yeah there'll be there'll be lots of brands there uh, We expect to have most brand British brands that have ever been at any event and we're really really excited about it
1: Fantastic Well that is a date to put in your diary Details will obviously be on the website on Instagram We'll show up about it on the Scotch Watches podcast because we're going to be doing some collabs it turns out yeah more on that later on but I think it's probably time that you introduced our special guest because he's been sitting there patiently and quietly for the last few minutes.
0: (laughs) I know. Today we've got Piers Berry from Pinion Watches. Uh, Hi, Piers, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. You've been on Scottish Watches before, haven't you? Which I've listened to and it was a great episode. Yeah. When was that? That was,
2: I think, I think that was June... 21 i think from memory
1: it was around about the time that your watch appeared or watches appeared in the fast and furious whatever nine it must have been because 10 has just come out
2: Uh, yeah it's 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 weird because they made that 10 movie so quickly and i think on the number nine i remember it it was like obviously before the pandemic it was i think i'm making that in sort of 2018 or something so it took them ages and then they just it's almost as if they made two films in one go and just decided to shelve one and
1: release it later I believe that is kind of what they get up to they've got a good thing going and the pandemic must have put a real span on the works with recording so they just kept on sort of behind the scenes building on the next one as soon as the last one was done but enough about movies we'll get into that later on because I know your potted history with television film and all kinds of cool things like that but for the listeners that maybe didn't catch the episode in Scottish Watch is let's wipe the slate clean and find out a little bit more about yourself and the brand. How did you start a watch company?
2: I probably, I got into watches uh, sort of mid-2000s. So probably, you know, a bit later on than a lot of people. was never really into sort of Rolexes and things like that because back then you probably go into a shop and buy one whereas you can't now. And my friend who was a watch collector, he kept saying to me, oh, when are you going to get yourself a, you know, decent timepiece? And I wasn't interested. I was just happy wearing digital watches, very much functional. And uh, I met up with him one day, and he was wearing this new watch. And I thought, "Wow, that's I like that. That's amazing. That's like I've not seen something like that before." Um, and it was a Panerai. So I tried it on, and I thought, "This is like I'm really into this. I I I like it a lot." And the, again, the funny thing is, is that you couldn't really. It was very difficult to buy Panerai. Sort of mid two thousand, they were kind of all the craze. Um, so I th- kind of said to myself, I really want to get one of these because I, you know, tried it on my wife, said it looked great. And I thought, yeah, no, this is, this is good. This is good. So first thing I did was obviously go around the shops. Um, couldn't, couldn't see any anywhere I Obviously was was saving up money, but you just, you could only buy like really expensive gold models, tourbillons or things like that. So that was definitely out of the equation. I just wanted a base hand wound classic Panerai Luminal model. And so started going on online as you do, researching and stumbled across a forum called panaristi.com, which is, I think was set up around sort of 2000. And there were so many people on there just talking about the brand and the love for the watches and the straps. And I, I got so into it. I managed to kind of put a want to buy post out, you know, in London. Really want to buy a historic model, and someone answered it. Um, a guy, he was a collector. He bought lots of watches and had, you know, Rolexes and Panerais. and and I think he'd bought one uh, that was the same model as his wife's, and his wife didn't like him having the same model, so he decided to sell it. And it was practically new. It was literally, you know, brand new. And managed to buy it off him for I think seventeen hundred pounds, which is an insane amount of money for Panerai. It felt like a lot of money back then, but obviously, you know, looking at it now, it's uh, it's 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 a very you know very affordable thing back then. So um, started to wear it, started to really get into the whole strap culture behind it, started buying straps, posting on the forum, and getting involved with the kind of community of people and. About six months after that, kind of got the bug, got the sickness as it was, and thought oh, I really want a black Panerai. I wonder really if want one of the PVD models, but back then you they were really quite old and very difficult to um, to get hold of, and I think they were sort of upwards of ten thousand pounds. So as a contrast, I thought really want a black PVD watch, something like the Panerai, and again stumbled ac- across Bell and Ross. Who had that similar kind of design aesthetic? It was obviously a square watch, but it was it was very similar in kind of look and feel, and very simple. So again, sort of saved up money, sold a few old design books and things like that which were just cluttering around the house which I'd had for like 20 years so they're actually worth quite a bit of money and managed to get like a watch fund together M- much to my wife's sort of anger, is, not anger but you know sort of just you, own, you don't need another watch sort of why do you need two watches
1: Why does she need more than one handbag? One pair of shoes? <laughs> exactly, yeah
2: exactly, this is it and I said well you only wear one at a time like, but no was really good. he's really sort of in into that and and went and bought a one born Ross and thought after that thought that's it i've got got the i've got the two watches that i you know that i need um they're both kind of similar aesthetic but you know they are um they're, they're, they're exactly what i need I and mean, it was an event i went to a juror watchers um met up with a guy called simon um and and he was and again through through bell and ross joining the forum asking questions buying straps sort of meeting people and I told him what I was doing, and there's a few other guys as well at the event, and he said, look, you know, I'm in, I'm in digital, I've got my own digital agency. And we had this idea to do an alternative Bell and Rolls Forum, um, a sort of a fan forum, because there were some issues with the official forum and that you couldn't really say what you wanted because it was kind of policed by the brand and stuff. So I said, yeah, you know, I can do that. That's quite easy. I can spin that up quite quickly and and put a little brand on it. We came up with the brand named Bravo, which is based on, you know, BR and the kind of the French, because they're a French brand. So it's very much kind of in that flavor. Launched the forum, was expecting it to be no more than just the kind of local people that we'd met uh, on the official forum and some of the people that we'd met at these events. And literally within two or three months, there was about 15,000 people going on that forum a month. And we were like, this is crazy. Mm. Yeah, this is just nuts. There's just so many people coming on there asking questions. A lot of them obviously people like, like I was, you're looking to buy a model. You want to hear from people like you. You don't want to hear from a salesperson. You know, you really want to hear from the the people that bought it or the um, fans, as it was. Um, funnily enough, one of the one of the early members of that forum was um, a guy called James Thompson, who um, is also known as Black Badger. He obviously went on to do a lot of a lot of things in the watch industry, but that was really his first sort of. Exposure, I think, to to sort of watch culture, sort of in a social. This is before social media, but in a kind of a you know, an online sense. So we did, yeah, we did, we did trips to Paris. We did, we did, you know, sort of get-togethers in Paris with the brand. Bell and Ross basically saw what was happening—that we were creating this this fan um, this fan forum, basically on their behalf—and they kind of, sort of, we became not ambassadors, but we became almost like independent. Um, consultants for for & Ross. Simon went off and actually worked for them for a while officially. I was still running my agency. Uh, we then redid their official forum for them. And, um, you know, it, it lasted for a good two or three years, um, just building up this base and, and getting people from all over the world to visit and it was during one of these events and this was what sort of i don't know 2009 something like that my agent my digital agency that i had uh, and i lived in henley and someone mentioned to me and said you know there's a there's a have you heard of bremont they're a they're a watch brand they're based down the road you know based down the road and i was like i think i've heard of them but i've not really looked into it you know and someone said you should go and contact them you know with all the stuff that you're doing for bell and ross so i thought you know what i'll send them an email and just see what they see what they say and obviously fired this email away i think at the time there was probably four people working there um in a converted brewery near the river and um got an email back pretty much straight away saying yeah we'd love to meet you um come over and, you know sort of see what we've got and everything and um so went over uh, it's quite 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 good cuz i could literally walk over from my from my office you know 5 minutes to there to their office and kind of struck up a relationship where i would sort of do sort of online photography you know photography online post it online on forums uh, and, you know, again, go to their events and just start to kind of build up that And as well as doing the Bell & Ross thing as well. So it's kind of not working directly, but kind of working as a hobby almost for two, you know, one quite established brand and one up-and-coming brand.
1: Any watch brand that begins with BR pretty much. Yeah, that was the (laughs) thing. And obviously, Bell & Ross got
2: Twig of it and they weren't happy because they do pilot watches and Bremont were doing pilot watches and they were at Baselworld and, you know, and so when you go to Baselworld, it's like, you know, who do you go to? So we would go to, we would go to Bremont who were not in the main bit. We'd go to the hotel where they are and then we'd sneak off to the, uh, to the Bella Ross um, camp. They, they, were the, they were the guys that basically paid for us to go over there. So it was a little bit like that. But I kind of finished when Simon, Simon got a job with Bella Ross, I kind of, Said right, I'm going to finish. You carry on with that, and I'm going to I'm going to start working more closely with Bramont. Partly because they were down the road, um I was getting much better access. I was able to just go in and see their military watches that they'd just suddenly built. I could take them away, take them home, photograph them the same day or night, or in some cases four a.m. in the morning, and then ship them back the next day. They'd chop them off at lunchtime, and by sort of the evening, they'd have a set of photos that they could share online, which is, you know, it kind of worked both ways because I was getting to see new watches. I was getting to see them close up. I was getting to see how things were not built, but, you know, getting, you know, just getting a lot of kind of exposure. To, and, and I was really enjoying it because it was a complete contrast to what I was doing, which was effectively sort of co-running a digital agency. I then went on to do a forum for Bremont uh, called Altitude, which is still going to this day. Um, I also set up their Bremont fans' Facebook page, which I think is more popular now than the forum. And it was during, I think, 2012 that someone from the forum said, look, you should do a forum special edition. I was like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, but it's not really down to me. It's down to, um, you know, it's down to the the guys of what they want to do. And I think someone from the forum got in touch with them and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And so what I did is I kind of, work with our designer had an idea of what we wanted to do he designed some of the watches up and kind of we were saying yeah we want you know we want it to be you know anthracite hand, dial pro dial based on the martin bake uh uh model dlc or steel and they rendered some pictures out and then i post them up online so what i was doing is effectively i was i was i was almost retailing i was retailing the watch for them, so they would obviously take all the money um, but I was just almost promoting it and retail, you know, sort of raising awareness of this watch. And when we came to actually, when they came to take the deposits on the date, the watch, I think, practically sold out in 24 hours. And I got such a buzz engaging with people from a sales point of view, wanting to buy a watch, what strap they wanted, what options. It was, again, a total contrast to what I had, what I was doing in my day-to-day job, which was designing, you know, film websites. and. I thought to myself, I really want to do this myself. I'm a designer. I can, you know, I had I I'd, I'd had ideas about what watches I would want to design when I got to. Uh, and so early 2013, I kind of made a decision that I was going to start, um, start making watches and start designing watches. That's how it started.
0: And then you've put yourself under a bit of pressure for Salon QP, didn't you? I did. What happened then? I did.
2: I did. As a designer. You kind of get used to deadlines, and you sometimes know as well that unless you've got a deadline you don't you don't really kind of make an effort to get stuff done you know like a like like a lot of things, you say, "Oh yeah." It was like me going, oh, yeah, I'll get my phone. I'll get the company's website redone. And you don't have a deadline, so you never get on with it. And so I thought with the watchers thing, I thought I was quite serious about it. I also thought if I go down this road, there's no turning back. I'm probably going to not be able to work with these brands again because I'm going to have my own brand. Um, And so the first thing I did, and I got my wife, um, was book a stand at Salon QP under a kind of not even having a brand name or anything. And this was, I think, what, March or something? Booked the stand, paid the, paid the deposit, and then I knew that I had to have watches ready for November. So it was, yeah, that's kind of setting a deadline. Not only watches, but a brand you know, everything that goes around it. And that was, yeah, that was quite stressful.
0: Well, if you are to do a limited edition for British Watchmakers there you've got eight months For eight months, yeah. that's exciting? Is that for exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. exciting? Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: So what was the first watch?
2: I did a collection, and again, it kind of very much borrowed from that, that inspiration from Panerai, Bell & Ross, simple 3D hander, called Axis. Axis being that it's sort of like the, starting point you know the horizon for the collection that's what i wanted to do and it was three watches it was well, it was one single watch but it was in three color it was in three variants we had uh steel stainless steel with black dial we had a dlc version that again that's harking back to kind of belarus uh style that kind of you know wanting to do a uh, a, a black haste watch and then I wanted to really wanted to do a bronze watch back then, 2012, 2013. There was very, very few brands doing bronze watches, and certainly no one in in, in Britain was doing. Um, and so I wanted to definitely do one, and uh, and that's what I that's what I went in with. Uh, and we were, yeah, Pinion was the first company. Uh, to make a sort of British built bronze watch that was launched in. Well,
1: before you tell us a little bit more about that, why don't you tell us where the name Pinion came from?
2: Yeah, I think I'd, I'd never wanted to, again, it's the name the name element. I mean, a lot of people put their own name on it. Like Christopher Ward, for example. I didn't want to put my name on it. I didn't want to call it Berry Watches. I didn't think it sounded all peers or something like that. And I was looking around for terms. were well, the... the Sort of, I spent Easter. So about a month after booking Salencay, I spent the whole of Easter coming up with the brand name, logo, and initial designs for the first watch. And I stumbled across the some watchmaking terms, and I came across this word called "pinion." And I thought, "Well, that's quite nice because it's sure it, the characters are kind of similar to my name in terms of the first two letters." So there's a there's kind of relevance there, but it's not my name. And I just like the fact that the the pinion, the wheel, the pinion wheels are you know instrumental in effectively how your hands and other elements of the mechanical watch operate, but they're often hidden. They're often you don't see them. So and I I quite like that aspect of it. So that's that's what I went for, and I obviously did a check on trademarks and things, and it was it was free. So I I, I thought no, I'm going
1: to I'm going to go with that. Fair enough. That's that explained. Back onto the bronze.
2: Yeah. So again. Between March and November, I basically resigned from my own company. So I set up an agency in 2003, 2003 with a couple of brothers. We grew the business. We worked doing a lot of work with Universal Pictures on most of their film releases. and worked on about, what, 45, 45? so films.
1: Hit us with some names. Give us the big highlights.
2: The big highlights. Well, we did We did the second Bridget Jones film, which is quite a big film. But oh, I love yeah. it. We did Atonement, which is a good one.
0: Yeah. Well, what? We
2: did. Uh, what else? Did we, do? we did. We did Frost Nixon. Then we did some more, which were more from Universal areas. So we started looking at um, Despicable Me Two. Uh, we did kick ass too but i think we then started working with fox i can't remember if they were all you know but we ended up doing like the whole bit and a lot of those were mobile apps that you would engage with and do stuff do something with um so yeah some quite big some quite big yeah, um, stuff that's some heavy the there. we did some kind of lower so what you call it, sort of more arty, low budget films, films they'd often release in between the blockbusters because they know they wouldn't get any traction. So, um, yeah, we do quite a lot of those as well.
0: And then, of course, when you launched Dini and then you got the watches on a few famous wrists as well, haven't you?
2: Yeah, obviously, we've done quite a bit of stuff in film and TV. Um, and that came about as a bit of an accident i think the first one we did was for a tv show called mcmafia which had uh, james norton in it and made a watch for uh, james norton but it was too big for his uh suit the bad guy the russian bad guy in it mafia boss he he had he had one so he wore that for that that production um and then the next one i'm trying to think of what else we did uh, the big one was obviously uh, Hugh Grant in The Gentleman. Um, and again we yes. were originally meant we were originally meant to make a watch for uh, Matthew McConaughey, um, but for some reason, and it may be because contractually he wants to wear you know a brand that he was associated with, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's costume designers. They have a specific look that they want to achieve, Um, but they said, "Oh no, that's not going to work." But we've got another character that will be perfect for a bronze watch. And I said, "Oh great!" And they went, "Oh yes, you Grant." I am like, "Okay." And he turned out to be probably the best character in the film. You know, sort of the, the, the whole of the film you don't uh, and again with this whole kind of films uh you it's a bit potluck because it's not product placement as such so you're not you're not paying money you're not getting airtime with your leg on you know on screen or people mentioning the watch for example you know you if you're lucky you will possibly someone be we wear. um uh, on a mobile phone, and they'll have their hand up, and you'll see the you'll see the watch, or there'll be a scene where they're putting something on, or the watch is on the side. Um, and so, like with the gentleman, you very rarely see the watch, but and that's partly because it was filmed in February, um, and so Hugh Grant was wearing this great big sort of great big coat throughout most of the film. But yeah, no, we did that, and then um, the kind of bigger one was Fast and Furious a Nine, uh, which we did. We we made a, a bespoke uh, strap for John Cena a massive long strap because he's he's a big guy and his, his wrists are probably what, 10 inches or something just huge wow yeah 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 yeah. and it was like lizard skin as well because it needs to match his pointy shoes that he was wearing
0: i was just thinking yeah hugh grant's recent role as a Noompa loompa uh, i mean that would <laughs> definitely yeah. have been too big for the suit
2: yeah <laughs> i mean the thing is what's really what's really nice and obviously you know if you go back hugh grants a, you know he's traditionally a real watch person he actually wore panerai in the original Bridget Jones films and this is before I was kind of into watches and so knowing that he was a bit of a Panerai guy and I, I used to be as well um kind of thought oh, this is. A... and I got a note back from um one of his assistants saying you know thanks for learning the watch he really really liked it and I you know that means a lot to me that knowing that he's a watch guy and he liked the watch that's good um sometimes they get letters back saying can we keep it and I'm like no nope. <laughs> so you get that as well but not on that occasion so
1: that's the big screen how about the smaller screens we've done uh, Doctor Who uh, we did
2: Chris North who's a guest uh, he's painting like a Donald Trump type character. We've done Taken TV series with Clive, who's a friend of mine. He's worn he's worn the watches in a in a few things, but Taken, we basically I, I did the whole of the most of the cast in season one of Taken. I think there was two seasons of that. Uh, we did Angela Angela Black, which is uh, which was out a couple of years ago and I think now on Netflix. Um I had a near I've had a few near misses as well. So I had I'm just trying to think. Um yeah. So I've had a few people that have kind of like, Oh, can we get can we get one of your watchers? And then it transpires that the costume guy wants a bracelet or i has got an eye, you know. So sometimes you miss out. And I think one of those was um Citadel, last, uh, which was out last year, which was that kind of sci-fi film where we we sent a bronze watch off and it and it, it they just it didn't go with them. So um, you know, sometimes you miss out, but yeah, we've got that and um the Morning Show, we've just done uh, season, I think it's season three of The Morning Show. Um, so that'll be, yeah, that'll be, there'll be a, a watch there. But uh, nothing, nothing, there hasn't been much over the past year. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very sort of wait for the call and see what you can, see what
1: you can supply or, or come up with and, and go from there just so happens I have a friend in the industry another guest on Scottish Watches who I may be able to put you in touch with and he may be able to connect some people together because he's always working on new things and he's recently had a new series out in the BBC so leave that one with me and let's go back in time to Salon QP how did it all go? Did you meet your deadline?
2: <laughs> yeah I did just uh, I think I think it wasn't until the weekend before that I actually had new watches um, so I was <laughs> very much like uh, this is not happening. And it was it was it was a, for a few weeks, it was very stressful. Uh, straight away i you know i'd said i wanted a bronze watch and the case maker was saying great yeah but you we can't we can't make one for then and i was and i'd not released anything so i'd never said that i was going to release one so i had no pressure i just had it in my head that i just wanted to make a a statement or a novelty something was slightly different because again back then no one was doing bronze watches so so i went off and got one of the steel cases and used the um the the platers who were who did the olympic flame for the 2012 olympics to basically um to 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 plate in in a bronze color to then put it on the stand so when i actually presented the watches it was still a steel watch but it was a bronze plated um watch so but that's you know that's kind of sometimes the, the the things that you have to go through. I think to, to create those prototypes and those demo models, and both with sort of Bremont and Bell and Ross, I've been at their stands and they, you know, both brands have gone, yeah, don't don't kind of touch that or don't try and wind that because they they they're just prototypes that they've mocked up for the for the show, you know. So it's it's very much about um, getting that right, you know. Concept across and, and and selling it, and obviously when I went into production, they were proper bronze con- cases. But yeah, that's that's the only way I could do it. So it was a success. It was good. I literally turned up the salon. We had the smallest stand. I turned up with a small bag with more watches and a few straps. Put them all out, and yeah, you know, it was good. I on looking back, I think if I was going to do it again, I'd have spent a bit longer um and a bit more time to kind of think it out. But I think you've got to start somewhere, and you know. It's better to start small and go bigger than come out with a big splash and then suddenly disappear after 18 months.
0: How did you find the whole process of creating a brand from scratch?
2: The brand element was quite straightforward. Again, you know, sort of design is in my background and I think the main problem that you have is because you are effectively you're doing it for yourself. You've got to be quite critical. Uh, so you've got to really sort of design something and then come back to it. So you have to Certainly when I'm designing watch, I'll come up with a draft design and I'll leave it a few days and I'll come back to it because then you see it with a fresh, you know, fresh eyes as it was. So the brand was fairly straightforward. And again, it wasn't meant to be a big brand. You know, I didn't want to have a big strap line and a big load of branding. It was meant to be all about the watches. For me, the brand was secondary to, to the actual watches
1: themselves. Well, I think what you said there are. I've heard somebody else say something similar. I don't know if it was Stephen King, but it was an author. And they said they do their first draft and they put it in a drawer and they leave it for a while. Then they come back to it. And I suppose it's like, if you've got a report or an essay at school, college, university, or whatever, as soon as you write it and then you look at it, you spot no mistakes. Everything makes complete sense. It's only when you come back to it later on that you see the tiny little flaws and areas that you can make amends. It is. And it's the same with any design,
2: really. I mean, certainly knowing from doing not just watch designs, but other stuff, you're kind of working almost like in a tunnel vision where you're focused on getting something done and you're so focused on the particular style or the approach that you sometimes just need to, sometimes when you, you, you take a step back, you come back the next morning and you go, I'm going to change all that. That isn't right. And that's very much what it's, you know, so doing the watch design element is, is very much, you know, small iterations. Uh, testing them, um, printing them out, and you know, mocking them up and stuff like that, and and getting to the point where you you think, yeah, I think this is going to work. I mean, obviously, as a designer, you're always picking salt and you work. It doesn't matter what you do, mm. you're always going to come back and go, you know what? If I was going to do that again, I would have changed the um, the color or I'd changed the layout or whatever. But I guess that's just the nature of being a designer.
0: I think with a lot of creative people, sometimes they just have to leave it alone <laughs> and just, yeah, it's sometimes it's quite difficult and you just keep changing things and changing. How long does your watch design take generally?
2: I would say on average, I won't count on hours, but I think certainly sort of over two to three weeks, I'll, have, I'll get something to a point where it's kind of ready to go into production. Because obviously I do all the, I do the initial sketching, then I'll do the CAD work, uh, which is more from a visualization point of view rather than a technical drawing point of view. But I'll do rudimentary technical drawings as well. So normally, like, um, you know, so, uh, the heights of watches and things like the heights of the hands and the dials, because everything has to clear. You know, what people don't see is everyone looks at the watch face and they see it sort of straight down. They see the hands. But actually, what's really important is, you know, all those things coming up on the dial, like the applied indexes, all the the ring the sloping ring around the edge of the dial the hands need to clear um they need to be you know the right it needs to all kind of fit together because ultimately you're making something that's, that needs to work and not not drop apart so there's a lot of that kind of aspect to it as well but in terms of the visual stuff yeah come up with an initial visual sketch out uh do the dial do the do the case rudimentary case style then mock it up in 3d and um, and that's when I get a more better sense of it in terms of where I'm coming from. It and then when I'm happy with that, I'll speak to some suppliers, get some estimates in. Then I'll draft up all the uh, required artwork. So sort of basically, it's like handing off to suppliers. So I'll do you know case dimensions and drawings, which aren't that detailed and technical, but they give you those kind of rudimentary elements that you want to have. And again, with the, mostly with the dial, it's pretty much you know straight transfer to them and then they just basically um put it together in their in their systems to 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 mark it up whether it's applied in indexes to engineer or it's um uh, you know printing
1: that's some of the positives but we'd like to hear some of the negatives tell us some of the horror stories of the last decade plus since you've been designing watches. What have been the gotcha moments where maybe you thought things were plain sailing, you sent it away and it didn't quite go according to plan. What can we learn from with your mistakes? I've had a few things
2: I had one of my earliest watches, which was the, based on the, it was the R1969, which was based on the, using the Neural Stock value movements. And I wanted a kind of raised, center raised element to the dial. Basically, what I actually probably wanted was just a dial that had a contrasting uh, press in it or something like that. And it's all I asked really what I wanted. But I had this thing in my head that it had to be raised. And so the dial maker applied the the raised area to the dial, which meant that the hands wouldn't fit because the dial was too high. And this is what I was talking about earlier about, it's all about the heights, it's all about the clearance. And if you do something and you get a load of dials made and then you suddenly can't, I get a phone call from a watchmaker going, we've got a problem. And I'm like, I don't like those calls because <laughs> it it's either a problem that you can fix or it's a problem that you can't fix. And in that case because we were using a new old stock movement, it had to go off and engineer a load of um, our wheels and kind of pinions for it, specifically for that height, rather than having to, having to redo the dials. So there's that, and then there's the other ones where um, just made a stupid mistake, like one millimeter out on a dial measurement, and then suddenly you get these dials back, and they're wrong. And yet all your other dials have been... You know, thirty-four mil, and I think I put thirty-three mil in or something like that. And the dial makers don't don't what well, ones think to say to you, you know, you're the dials you made, the thirty-four, well, this one's thirty-three. <laughs> and you suddenly get a load of stuff that you spent thousands on, and you you can't you can't do anything with them. So yeah, it's but you but you live in you know, the thing is you learn from your mistakes. And oh, certainly for me, the whole heights of hands, clearance of hands is absolutely critical, but also fine-tuning and checking to make sure that if you have just put in the wrong digit on a diagram that you you check check through it because it can cost you thousands um and you the only option is you have to go and get them all done again and then you have to wait another three to six months to get them to get them uh made again which it's, it's just a nightmare sometimes
0: I do hope everything went well with the latest uh watch neutron
2: yeah I mean recently it's all been pretty straightforward I think it's because now I've got formula that i stick to i think certainly you know sort of starting out potentially the first first five years i was learning as i was doing it and like say you learn from mistakes and some of the mistakes can be costly but now i've got a formula where i kind of know what will work then it's just about creating the aesthetic look that you want to achieve but also with like the neutron i invested in a sort of fairly ish industrial grade engraving machine which enabled me to actually start doing like bespoke custom backs for people it also meant that when i did a set of cases i wouldn't have to get them engraved at source and then if i decided i didn't want to change the line i'd have a load of case backs because i was i ended up collecting a few case backs and things which had not you know which had not been used or been used for something else and and so doing the blank case backs means i'm in full control of that now and again spent what the best part of the last 18 months perfecting the engraving where i can go really deep on the uh, engraving get it as black as you want texture perfect smooth and you know again that takes quite a bit to do that isn't easy but it suddenly you're able to just start to you know create stuff and so i've done a glass back recently where someone wanted their initials put on it on so i engraved on that and it goes on the inside so you've got this exhibition back but you've got this very subtle it's almost like sandblasting effect on on the back but also you've got people that want to give a watch to someone that they've just just retired from their work and you put their work logo on and a thank you message and stuff like that so yeah yeah it's good it's that personalized personalization element I kind of really makes the the watch for some people
1: so that's new one. Do you want to tell us what's so special about it compared to your other releases? What makes it stand out? The
2: neutron. I mean, the neutron I released last year, and I've, I do have a new one in kind of development, which I'm hoping. Well, I'm, i I will get it done for the show next year. Um, that's my deadline. But I'm hoping uh, to get the one. Can edit these shows. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but the neutron. Um, I think with that, I obviously wants to go a bit smaller, so sort thirty-eight. 38 mil uh, in size, a bit slimmer. Um, Still wants to use ETA movement. I'm really happy with the the quality of those. They're great. Uh, So really wanted to kind of stick with that. And no date is always good. And I've extended now to start doing, you know, no date watches because I tend to find with dates, you kind of compromise the design a little bit. Or you put the date in an angled view, which I'm actually fine with. But a lot of people just go, I'd buy that if it didn't have a date. The funny thing is, is when I do a watch without a date, no one comes and says, I'd buy that if it did have a date. So there's something interesting there. I did all the um, sort of very nice finished dials and then all the all the uh, numerals were all applied. But then I did a polishing effect on them, which made them look like car. Oh, you know, like you get on cars, you get a numeral on a car and it's like slightly, there's a slight curvature to it. So it's just got a, a very slight sort of, it uh, just gives it that extra depth. It's not something I've seen before on watches. And I think doing that on the Neutron really kind of gave it a really nice quality. So that's, yeah, that's what, that's my last watch, but it's certainly not my last that I've been working on this year. Because now I tend to do a lot more special projects um, and things like that. So, I tend to be doing like watches, watch watches on commission, as it was, um, which aren't retailed online. They are um, for sort of uh, military or for other
1: collectors and things like that.
0: Some, some military ones that we can't, can't talk about.
1: Yeah. How would somebody that uh, maybe wouldn't want their name known get in touch with you? And what's the process of creating a custom watch for their squadron?
2: What they tend to do is I think they, I often get referrals from people in the watch industry because you get some people who, who make bespoke watches and they're quite expensive. And of course, these guys will go there and say, we want to do a squadron watch. We want to do 50 pieces. We want to retail it for a thousand pound each or around that figure. And of course these, you know, these guys can't, can't do that, but they, they do say, but we know a person who can. And um what i've done now i'm, I'm on to my kind of third succession so first one was special forces uh which was back in sort between 2020 and 2021 i did around 80 watches for them uh it's for a division of the special forces i'm not allowed to uh show the watch um although i think when we do the show i'll probably show the back of there because i think that will probably be you know something that I can maybe share, but not the front because it would effectively give away someone's identity. And just bear in mind that their previous... Watchmaker was Rolex as well, so you know that's something to kind of think. Right,
1: okay, another good British brand there, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. So did that. Then I did a small project with Mercedes Benz Club, which was more of an owners owners sort of club, which was quite a nice little celebration watch. And then this year I am doing a uh, squadron watch for the six one seven Dambusters Squadron. So again, up to eighty watches. The watch is completely bespoke to them so what i don't do is i don't take a commercial model and uh stick a badge on it it is a complete bespoke dial they've got their own lightning bolt hand um on the watch that's part of their insignia um they have a as i say completely bespoke dial the packaging is completely bespoke to them the strap the, the back everything and that's you know that that's with an eta uh, 42 mil stainless steel and that's retailing to them for around a thousand pounds a piece so you know it's a good i think if you see it at the show because i will bring i will bring it to the show i think i think you'll be quite surprised at what you know what a bespoke watch can look like that's totally tailored the the only element of opinion on that watch is a small signature in the the bottom of the um the where the seconds are so there's no that it's all their own brand and that's why that's how i
1: like to prefer, prefer to to do those sorts of watches okay well maybe we should talk a little bit more about the show and maybe you can tell us about the location where it's going to be held and why you chose that location
0: yeah well i before we booked something i have spoken to a lot of british brands and i just wanted we we, we all just want to make it rightful for the brands it's not for the alliance it's for the brands um and we're making it quite affordable i'd like to believe that so everyone can take part if we wish um and a lot of people said you know wouldn't it be great to get lots and lots of light um and get the big venue so we can feed lots of people so the one we've chosen is um in westminster and it's called lindley hall it's got a huge glass roof so you could uh you know see your watches very clearly <laughs> and when it gets a bit darker in march then there's plenty of enormous lamps around and on the stands so um Yeah, and uh, it can fit in, I think about 700 people standing, so we'd love to get lots of collectors in. Our club members go for free as usual, and then everyone else, um, it's just a nominal amount, you know, um, but you'll have to get your tickets on Eventbrite, Um, and tickets are going on sale in the beginning of October
1: fantastic we well, looking forward to seeing how many of those 81 brands eventually turn up but before we finish off the show i believe you have some quick fire questions for Piers, don't you of
0: all the watches we've discussed which one makes you the most proud Piers? um i think
2: i think it's got to be the axis just because it was my first watch that I made. It it goes back to a time when, when I did it under, Durant, under a lot of duress. And um, yeah, no, I think definitely, certainly the Axis Bronze is is one of my favourites. Uh, whilst it's not the most refined and probably not the most designed, you know, uh, considered watch that, that I've now evolved to in you know more recent collections, it's certainly one that I, I, I really like.
0: Apart from Pinion, what's your other favourite British brand right now?
2: Oh, interesting. I do because i'm really into my military watches i do have a soft spot for vertex don uh don's brand uh yeah i i really like what they're doing with their just their aesthetic and and just the fact that they're just so cool so yeah i think it, you know again if i hadn't if i didn't have pinion i'd have probably bought one i think
1: that's certainly yeah it's uh it's it's really they're really really nice
0: vertex will be at the event as well
1: it's very interesting that you say that because when i think of vertex i think opinion and when i think opinion i think of vertex
2: that's interesting yeah yeah no it's just uh i say i take a lot of my references from military tools of you know very kind of clean watches and and that when they were released they were kind of like yeah that's absolutely bang on and um and some of the subsequent stuff that they've done is, is spot on. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely one. And I just, you know, the whole brand is, is, is great. The, the, the history behind it and everything with the, the, obviously the, um, the dirty dozen connection and stuff. It's, uh, it's gold. I don't have any heritage. I just have 10 years of kind of, you know, <laughs> making some watches and selling some watches and yeah. But I mean, all brands are 10 at one point, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing to remember is that, you know, all brands have, you know, been
1: young and, um maybe not being a, a really high profile brand at some point i'll take the second quickfire question and that is who are your favorite or favorite international watchmakers? i've got a soft spot for panerai but i
2: must say i'm not so keen on their their new models i still think that uh, some of their older collections are or better um and again it's from an aesthetic point of view who else i mean, don't tend to like sort of bigger brands um I really like Habring as well. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I think it is. But the yeah, some of the stuff they do is is very unique. And I remember speaking to the um one of the Salon QPs. I think it was before I was exhibiting, just going on as a fan. And I he, he I remember speaking to him and he was like, Yeah, keep it simple, keep it stupid. And he just had this like running seconds hand on the on the watch, which was going like twice the speed and stuff and i just thought yeah that's great love it
1: all right well we have come to the end of our time with your peers so we're going to have to let you go and keep designing some new creations but before you go do you want to tell listeners how they can get in touch with you how they can find out about what you're up to they can look at your previous watches and stay in touch to find out about your new ones yeah, they can visit, just visit
2: pinionwatches.com, all the information's on the site, and you can get in touch with me directly through the site as well, uh, if you want to talk about uh, the models that we've done in the past or present.
1: And um, look forward to seeing people at the show in next March. Well, thank you Piers for joining us on the show Can't wait to meet up with you again Because I think I've only met you once And that was in 2019 At a very small private function Which was the Watch It Fair Run by Watch It All About If you remember that one And we spoke briefly, you showed me I think it was actually one of the watches From the Fast and Furious movie The one that ended up in John Cena's wrist, And that's how we became pals Uh, You've obviously been on Scottish Watches And yeah, just looking forward to catching up again Because the COVID years they were right in the middle and uh, it took out a lot of travel it took out a lot of the opportunities for people to actually come and see watches in real life thankfully that seems to be a distant memory touch wood and yeah roll on next March
0: thank you